there's a pastor in Philly called Paul Tripp, and he coined, he used the term the redemptive violence of grace. Ooh. And he basically says God takes us to places we would never go on our own in order to bring about change that can only happen in those places. Wow. That's what the divorce was. It was severe. Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM, and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. Tonight's interview is the first half of my appearance on the Greg Williams Breaking the Silence podcast last month. I hope you enjoy it. I want to welcome to the program tonight Ed Mellick, and he is a grace evangelist. Now, I know... I don't know what that means. I know what the two words mean, but I don't know what it means when you put it together and what role that plays, but he's going to tell us. But he's also an author, a radio show producer, podcast producer, a host, and a high-tech business advisor and consultant. And his life literally changed dramatically, like so many of ours have too, uh, 12 years ago, when his wife of 22 years filed for divorce. And since then, he's experienced the, and this is, have we not talked about this? He experienced the realness, the superpower, the practicality, and the beauty of God's grace. And um, simply, you cannot keep it from sharing it with other people. And uh, he's written two books uh, that we're going to talk about tonight. And he also uh, is a host, uh, a co-host with a, a podcast. And I've listened to several of the shows. It's a great one. I recommend you jump in on uh, Grace in 30. And it, I uh, believe it is based out of Arlington, Virginia. So if you would welcome uh, to the program tonight, Breaking the Silence, uh, Ed Mellick. Ed, are you there from Virginia? Yes, I am. Thank you and very you much for You are in Arlington right now, Ed? Uh, I'm in Fairfax. I'm in Vienna, Virginia, right next to the Vienna Metro. Okay, so, fantastic. Um, I'm in the whole Northern Virginia area. That's, you know, that's part of the country I never get to very often. Uh, every now and then I'll have a conference out there, but that's just part of the country. I never I never get a chance, but I understand it's beautiful. Yeah, it's right outside of D.C., so we're very oh. close to D.C. Yeah, so, so we're like, there's a beltway around D.C., like most major cities, and we're just a few miles outside of the beltway in, in Northern Virginia. It's, it's a lovely area. You know, you, you have written two books, and we're going to talk about those. But um, one of them is The Monumental Hug. Mm -hmm. And I have to be honest with you. Uh, a member of my church read the book and texted me and said, Hey, Greg, this may be somebody I enjoyed this that you may want to talk to. And I immediately reached out to you, and you immediately answered back, and I appreciate that. And then the other one that I think is the most recent, right, Healing Plunge. I wound up writing one really big book and it was, there was just too much going on. And yeah. when I gave it to a few people to review, they, they told me that. And they said, you really need to break this into two or three books. And I was a little bit discouraged. That was at the end of 2018. And so I kind of set it all on the shelf for a couple of months and, and kind of cooled down. And then I got back up and for about three and a half months, I kind of ripped the two books apart and put some of the materials aside. Because, you know, I wanted to focus in one of them on the divorce and what I went through and the restoration of my marriage with Diane and her experience fighting cancer. And then also this data analysis I did of healing in the Bible, 
because when she got sick, I just wanted to know everything I could possibly know about what the scriptures say about healing. And you, you probably know you read a book from someone and you think, I've got this now. And a week later or six months later, you hear another verse or a sermon. And you think, nah, I, that doesn't agree with what I read. And I simply wanted to know everything. And I started recording scriptures in an Excel spreadsheet. And it spun out of control. It's 343 scriptures. Some of them were two chapters, like Acts 3 and 4. Some of them a single verse. And, and I just thought, boy, this has got to be a standalone book, this data analysis. So that's, that's what healing plunge is called. I actually took a, a plunge into the deep end of the Bible's healing pool. That's my, yeah. my, I say to people. So yeah, these two books, one is on the story of just the power, the superpower of grace to heal. And the other one is on just sort of an analysis of healing in the Bible. Before we drill down into one or maybe possibly both of those books, tell me what uh, one of your roles, you wear several different hats, but one of them is, and it's the first one that you list, uh, a grace evangelist. Uh, I've been in the church for uh, over 50 years, well, 52 years now, and I have never heard those two words together. Did you create that? I did. You know, if you're, if you're in high tech, for example, there's a guy named, I hope I get this name right. I think his name is Guy Kawasaki. And he is very famous. He's known as an Apple evangelist. So he worked for Apple Computer for years. And he was just so amped up about Apple and the, the beauty of its technology and its interfaces and all that. He was uncontainable. And, and I'll take you to the story when in, in Acts chapters 3 and 4, when Peter and John healed uh, the, the beggar at the temple, they were jailed for that. And when they got released from jail the next morning, they were brought before the council. And they said, listen, if you, if you quiet down about this Jesus stuff, we'll let you go. And they literally got up and said, we cannot help but tell about the wonderful things we've seen and heard. That's my life. When you experience firsthand the realness, the superpower, the beauty, and, and, and the practicality of God's grace. I was a Christian for 20 years, and I didn't get it. And I was actually misbehaving very badly in my marriage. And I, I tell people there were no beatings or gamblings or affairs, but it was actually worse because I was belittling my wife for years. It was terrible. And it, and it built up over years very insidiously. And when God just woke me up to my sin instead of trying to change her all the time, and then oh, he showed yeah. me, you know, look at her with graceful, forgiving eyes instead of the way you've been looking at her with judgment and trying to change her instead of celebrating the way she is. My whole life changed. And as you started to see, I saw, I saw the power of it. I became unstoppable. And all of a sudden, I started applying it to my elderly parents and to people in my community. And then people started calling me from around the country. They had heard about me through people at Reston Bible Church, which I used to go to. And so it just grew and grew. And it's sort of like, a, you know, God, you, you pursue more of this grace and you get more established in it and you pursue even more. You become, you get in sort of what I call a cycle of righteousness. So I became uncontainable, and I, and I thought, well, how do I tell people about this? It's like I'm an evangelist, like the Kawasaki is for Apple. It's like I am with grace. So I just coined that term, and I figured, you know, but it's funny that you say you've never heard that before. So it's a, it's a little bit creative, I guess, but but it really describes. I'm just simply, I cannot help but tell about the wonderful things I've seen. In heaven. If we are really, truly uh, understanding and open-minded and open-hearted to what has been provided to us from this season to the Easter season, from the birth to the life, to the death, to the resurrection. Shouldn't we all be overly excited about giving grace to others? 
Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, when I started really genuinely examining myself, God, God answers that call and he'll, he'll show you and it ain't pretty. And he'll keep showing you. I'm still finding out things 12, 13 years later. But it's a wonderful thing because that truth, you know, they talk about Jesus being full of grace and truth. We humans find that very hard. Some of us are truth people and justice people. Others are grace and forgiveness people. But we're supposed to make a goal, you know, moving towards being both fully integrated. And when you, when I recognize the truth of how messed up I was, empathy and forgiveness and grace just naturally flowed out of it. Because the more I got, the deeper I got, it was like, man, I'm forgiven a lot. It's like the Apostle Paul, about 23, 25 years into his walk, he wrote, I'm the least of all sinners. And about six years before that, he said, I'm, I'm the least of the apostles. And a few years later, he said, I'm the least of the Jews. And then, you know, all that time later, he's like, no, I'm, I'm the worst of all sinners. I feel that way about myself. And it makes me so much more apt to just naturally extend grace, especially to those who are different, to my enemies, to those who hate me, right? And, and it's a beautiful thing. I'm not perfect at it. Trust me. I'm still, you know, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. So not perfect, but man, am I different than I was years ago. How important is it? Or I guess I know the answer to this, but I'm playing the advocate here. Uh, How important it is, is it to have grace and truth? Because I will provide grace immediately if people around me will go, wow, Greg, how could you forgive them for doing that? Hey, that's the kind of guy I am. Thumbs up. Ain't I neat? But it's behind the... You know, in a closed room, when you have to make a choice, and nobody knows what that choice is except you and God, and sometimes we don't make the right one. I wrote about this in the book. I basically said that it's not when you see me doing great things, when you see me doing ugly things, <laughs> resentful things, mean things. That's Ed Mellon. <laughs> when you see me doing amazing things and extending this radical grace, that's Jesus Christ in Ed Mellon. And I have a dear friend who just went through a detox and then he, he got in trouble with the law. I won't get into it, but now he's actually in a, in, a, in a psych ward where he's dealing with some suicide tendencies. And I met with him in between that in a hotel room. He was just despondent. And he kept saying to me, I'm not like you. I read your book. I'm not like you. And I'm like, no, we're exactly the same. We're both a mess. But what I've simply done is surrender to the direction of Christ in my life and let him guide me with his grace. That's the only difference. And that's incredibly encouraging. This mm-hmm. is wonderful news for all of us. All of us can, can seize hold of this if we simply surrender. So that's, that's really, really good news. Do you sit back sometimes and, and look at life? Uh, maybe the, the hand that we've been dealt and you don't like several of the cards and you go, wow, I, I didn't want that one. I didn't want that one. I didn't want that one. Because of the way we have to endure it, it, yep. it brings us to light. And to maturity of if we don't mess this up and allow God to come through, it flourishes. That's a great point. There, there's a pastor in Philly called Paul Tripp. And when, when I was very early on in my separation, you know, I, either I was just divorced, the year, waiting period had been finished. I saw him speak at our church for a Friday night and a Saturday. And he, coined, he used the term the redemptive violence of grace. And he basically says, God takes us to places we would never go on our own in order to bring about change that can only happen in those places. That's what the divorce was. It was severe. And I coined a term 
called Deep Tears, where I would cry so deeply every morning that I didn't think I could stop crying, and yet I did, somehow. And I, and I, and I, and I would call my mom on the way to work, and I'd cry more, and I'd call her on the way out of work and cry. And yet he knew that the only place he could shake me and prune me that I would really radically change was in that awful place of divorce. And I kind of went through that with each of my parents. They both passed away before you know Diane got sick. And those were long declines. And, and there were moments I would come home and simply lay prostrate and say, I can't take it, God. I just can't take it, how they're suffering. But the growth that occurs in those places, you know, it sounds so cliche. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. When you're going through it, you don't want to hear that scripture. It's like, get, right. get out of my face with that scripture. <laughs> well, when you when you get away from you get through it, you look back. You're like, yeah, I get it. So I I, I really do get that. Yeah. Do do you think um, that the church, and we won't say maybe a religion, but those that are redeemed uh, believers, why do we have such a difficult time? We have a great time and easy, accessible. God, give me all the grace I can get. Why are we more guilty probably than the world to allow that grace to flow through us to people that need it the most around us? I've always said and preached time after time after time, the church is one of those unique institutions that when somebody falls, we don't help them up. We kick them while they were down. Yeah. And we're guilty of that so many times in the Bible is full of that. Yeah, there's two things I want to say to that. First is I we, we we see the people you know they get more press the ones that do kick those who are down we don't see the ones who are really kind and there were people that hugged me in the church or, or in, and gave me blessings and all that they were off the charts and you don't typically hear about them but right. the broader answer is you know Jeremiah says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked right and in the New Testament it says you know the carnal mind is enmity towards God which is in, in NLT it says Human nature is hostile to God. And Galatians says, nothing you do is free from the conflict between the Holy Spirit and our human nature. So this is hard. It's very hard. And I think the thing is just like anyone else. It's like a club. You're the last one in the door and you want to make it harder for the last guy to get in. And, and we're like that in the body of Christ. And we, we don't admit it because we're, we're highly deceitful. We have an infinite capacity inside and outside the body of Christ for deceit. I was the king of this in our marriage. I thought I was so righteous, and I thought, Diane, what a mess. I remember going up to her best friend at church once, and, and just before Diane left me, and saying, oh, you know, poor Diane, she's such a mess, and would you please pray about this and do that? You know who was the mess? Me, not Diane. She had a natural grace that was incredible. I was the mess. And we all, and we just have to be incredibly diligent to keep the, it, it's the plank and the speck in the scriptures. Don't oh, try yeah. to look that speck in your, in your brother's eyes until you address the plank in your own. And that's simply our human nature. Even when you're in the, the body of Christ, we suffer the same thing. We have to be diligent to watch out for that all the time. Uh, and if you would, I'd, I'd like for you to go ahead and just say a little bit about your radio show. So everybody, if they want to get on, the archives are wonderfully categorized. They can just listen to one right after another. A great program. I've listened to several of them. Uh, what's what's the name of the show, and how can they get on to be able to listen to that, and maybe even live? Yeah, it's, yes. it's called Grace in 30. So we basically feature people telling their stories of grace in 30 minutes. 
And what happened was my, my co-host, we were roommates at this high tech company when I was first going through the divorce for three, three and a half years. So he, he just popcorn and soda. He had a front row seat to, you know, me regaling him with stories of, you know, everything I was learning and the grief and the joy and everything else. And he would joke with me. We got along so well. He'd say, man, we should do a radio program together. And I said, man, I'll curse on the air. I'll do something wrong. I'm, I can't do something like that. And I got let go by the company three and a half years into being there. And I, I thought I was being called to do something different. And a few years later, he called me up one day and says, hey, there's this nonprofit station. It's on FM station in D.C. They need content. We should do a program. Funny story how I kind of resisted. But long story short, we wound up on the air. And we had these amazing guests that come in. And, and we want to feature you know, local people as much as possible that are in Arlington, Virginia, or the D.C. area, but also people who have radical stories and, and radical should be the norm for the body of prayer. It should yeah. be, but it's not. So we need to show people how to behave, not how not to behave. And when he was pushing me and I realized, man, I have this amazing story of my own. I have a chance to bring in other people to tell their stories and all these different walks of life. And we can show people this is how to behave, not how not to behave. And so that's what we do. Every week we have you know, a guest come in and sort of tell their grace story or maybe the grace story of the company they work for or they founded or some sort of a nonprofit organization. So it's it's wonderful. And it's graceand30.com. It's the number three zero. So people can go check it out and, and, and see. And oh, by the way, when we do the interviews, I spend each each week when I interview someone, I the next day I pull highlights out of the interview. And they're 60 seconds, 90 seconds. You don't have to listen to the whole interview. You can listen to one or two of those highlights. And if you say, wow, I want to hear this person all the way through, go ahead and do it. If you don't, you can just move ahead to the next interview or, or do something else. So we really try to make it something that people can get in bite sizes if they want. And you said Philip Yancey was on your program? Yeah, I'm a big, big fan wow. of Philip Yancey. Yeah, he, he was, he's wonderful. I mean, his, his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, yes. just changed my life because I, I went through a period years ago where Diane and I were both people of faith, but the church had a major change. We were sort of in a cultist type organization called the Worldwide Church of God. Mm. And they got up and said, wow, we're too much in the law and not enough in grace. And the whole church, it was, it was a global church, it sort of really buckled, buckled and started to contract. And I started making really good money and I, we had a baby and we drifted away from the faith. And, and this is back before, you know, iPods and everything. I would walk through the, the Barnes and Noble and I would see the book, What's So Amazing About Grace. I was heading to the CD section. And I thought, oh, cute title. And then the next time I was like, yeah, what is so amazing? And the third time I was like, what is so amazing about grace? And I bought the book and it was just absolutely fantastic. And he wrote another one 19 years later called Vanishing Grace. Yes. Whatever happened to the good news? Great book. So having him on a couple of times was really wonderful. That's fantastic. So if you want to look up that program, Grace in 30. I just typed that in 3 yep. and it you're going to have to dot com or anything. You hit search and it comes right up. And yeah, the archives, I love the way you did that uh, because you can't. You can just listen to a minute or two, a highlight mm -hmm. or two, or you can listen to the whole half hour. So uh, that's awesome. I appreciate that. About the book, Monumental Hope, The Hugs, uh, what caused you to write it? And then why in the world, Ed, would you be so blatantly honest mm -hmm. about who you were? Yeah. Explain that. 
Well, the blatant, honest part is funny. I have conversations with other people that are like me. They're, they're not tempered, reactionary, very open, you know, to the point of embarrassment. That's the way God made me. And so we can take all these ways that we're made and we can either use them for good and his glory, or we can use them for, you know, bad purposes or mess up. So I've, I've come to terms with that over the years. And I'm like, this is who I am. I, one guy I worked with years ago said, when you work with Ed, he said this in front of me to somebody else, you will know Ed. <laughs> You'll know him right away. And that's simply who I am. And for years I used to be like, oh, my, my sin is so public in the way I am. I'm, my dad called me gregarious. That's the nicest thing he could say on my wedding tape. <laughs> and and um, so that's who I am. And as, as I started to experience what I did with Diane and people were interacting with me, people were like, man, are you writing this down? Are you capturing this? And I started thinking about that. And I'm kind of a writer naturally. People say, hey, you write really good. You should write about this. So I started capturing things just naturally and then accelerated as things went along. But what happened is, and I'll try to make this as quick as possible. The core of the story is when Diane said she was leaving, it was just shattering. And we were sleeping in separate bedrooms. We had been doing that a year and a half, two years. You know, the relationship was terrible. And we were enemies in the relationship. And what happened was God revealed to me, hey, you've got to let her go. You know, you heard the song, if you love someone, set them free. It is so true. And you can't heal. We were so far gone. We could not heal by staying together. And it, someone challenged me. He said, why don't you be the person through which God loves her more than anyone else? And no tit for tat like the world just Help her as much as you can. And I went to her all excited after two sleepless nights. I went across the landing of our upstairs and wanted to talk to her. And she was like, just get out of my face. She just wanted to move out. She was searching for her apartment. She was going to take our daughter. And so about three weeks, we lived together while she's preparing to leave me. I mean, it's awful. She said things at the dinner table. You start to understand how people kill each other. Because oh, you're yeah. so hurt and someone says something. And, and so long story short, a Friday comes around. She takes me to court for a pendente lite hearing and I get demolished. And the judge says, you owe thousands a month, you know, in support and next case, like a speed hearing. And I go out and I'm distraught. All my accounts are frozen. And I have no income. I just finished a consulting assignment. Lawyers like you got to do it. I, I go to go home and I realize she's having a packing. I don't want to call it a party, but a packing gathering at the house that night. Couldn't go home. So I came to this condo I live in now where my parents lived and I slept on the floor. Didn't really sleep. And I went home the next morning and I walked in the door and I said, the house was destroyed. And I said, what happened was awful yesterday, but I'm going to help you move. I'm going to extend this grace to you. And she was speechless. And I started shutting down the computer and doing things. And I helped her for eight, 10 hours to move. And at the end of the move, I'm standing in her new apartment. And when people leave each other, you usually don't even know where they go. They want to get away and they want to stay away from you for a while. And I went into my daughter's bedroom. She was 13. And I said goodbye. I, to this day, I cannot remember any of it. It was so painful. And I walked across the apartment to Diane's room. And she was sort of hiding in the corner facing me. And she's very petite. And this is the first time God spoke through me in my life, clearly. Because I said something I would have never said. And I walked up to her. And I said to her, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I want my Ed, Ed wanted to say, look, what are you doing to us? You're ruining our lives. But Jesus and Ed Melick said, I love you and I'm proud of you. I said what I hadn't said hardly at all for probably five years. And she was stunned and I hugged her and I kissed her forehead. She still didn't say anything and I left. And I went home and the house was destroyed. 
I cleaned the whole house because I'm like that. And crashed and I got up and there's echoes. My daughter's not there. My best friend's not there. People are calling and bursting into tears. And at four o'clock, the phone rings and it says Diane Mellick, which was bizarre. And I, I was filled with joy. I picked it up and, and she starts talking. And for once, I shut up and I listened. And she oh. talked for about 10 minutes and she said how hard it was on her. And she was in school and working and she's trying to raise Shannon still. And instead of me saying, yeah, but you brought this on yourself and you whatever, I just shut up. And she, at some point she says, it was Mother's Day. And she says, can you bring us a pizza? Now, when I tell this to men in the world, they say two words. One rhymes with duck and the other is you. <laughs> Visceral. Ungrace, right? Yeah. And I said, I'd be glad to. Picked up this pizza. I actually drove over a gift I bought her in the, in, the, in the garage. I was so excited. I put something in the garage, forgot it, came back out, drove over it. We went over. I went over and I had dinner with her at her new apartment two days after the court hearing, the day after she left. And we ate dinner as a family on Mother's Day. And when I got up to leave, there's no playbook on this. I, I just shuffled towards the door and I'm like, well, I guess I'll leave. And she comes up to me with her arms like this. And she hugs me and thanks me. And she hadn't hugged me in probably three years. And everything came. I understood the grace of Jesus Christ. I understood him hanging on the cross and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He forgave me because for those years I didn't know what I was doing. And she was being terribly mean to me. And I was forgiving her. That was a monumental hug. And then to fast forward, not to get ahead in the story, but I don't know how much time we have. When she got sick, very sick, and, and I lived with her twice in her last year of life, there was a moment where she got up slowly and I walked her to the bathroom and she had to sit down and take a break. And she stood back. She says, oh, I'm ready to get up again. And she, she stood up and she says, real cute, she says, I need a hug. And she hugged me and my daughter took a picture of it through the bedroom door. And that's what this image is on the book. That's her hugging me through the door. And when I was trying to come up with a cover, I, I was going to put this stone on it that had the word hug written. It was kind of a monument to that hug. But then I found that photo and I learned Illustrator and Photoshop just enough to create that cover in like a weekend. Beautiful. And I, I believe this is God's cover. Me and my daughter prayed about it. And I said, you create that cover, God. And when I show it to people, it is so powerful. And, and it, there were these two hugs that sandwiched that 10-year period of the restoration of our relationship. And so I, I just had, it was monumental. And I had to name the book for that hug. If, if there's people, and I know there, there are, that's listening. And, you know, I picked up on several things that you mentioned that you did that I have been guilty of. Oh, please. Us, us men. One was I didn't, I stopped and actually listened. Mm-hmm. Uh, how important do we need to, you know, I think sometimes I'm guilty of that today. When, when people need to talk, I'll cut them off and show them my great yeah, wisdom. Man. It's like, why didn't I? And you can't get those moments back. How important is that to just listen to people when they just need to share? You've been listening to the Grace in 30 radio program on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. If you'd like to hear my answer to Greg's question, along with the rest of my interview with him, join us next Wednesday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 8.30 a.m. In the meantime, have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.